0: Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm so glad you're here. My conversation today is with Caleb Schwartz, a professional cyclist who does both mountain biking and cyclocross. Last year, he was the youngest American to compete in the Cyclocross Elite World Championships in Fayetteville, had a great race. And this summer, he's been crushing the fat tires, finishing second in the hors to shore race and second in the trans rockies gravel royale a new mountain bike and gravel race in canada he also won a stage in that race so i thought i'd give him a shout before the cyclocross season winds up to talk about his summer of mountain biking and his plans for cyclocross i also wanted to talk to him a bit about being a privateer he is a professional athlete and has put together his own program to give himself the freedom of choice in what he competes in, where he competes, and tries to lay the groundwork for his future. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Caleb Swartz. Caleb Swartz, how are you doing today, man? Oh, I'm doing well,
1: I have a recovery day, and I'm uh, out here just wearing all the hats,
0: ordering bike parts, and figuring out how to start this cross season. You are wearing all the hats, and I want to talk about that in a bit. And to be honest, I you have been on my list to have on the show, so thanks for being on uh, uh, Bike Talk with Dave. Yeah, um, glad to be here. And uh, we will talk bikes, and I'm Dave, so we'll talk Bike Talk with Dave. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I was going to talk to you later in the season, maybe around Trek, uh, or even after Trek in Fayetteville about cross, but mm-hmm. dude, you were ripping up the mountain bike this summer and I just couldn't resist, especially Thanks. after your last, uh, trans Rockies, uh, trans Rockies gravel Royale, um, yeah. stage race. So I want to talk about that and all of that stuff. Um, but, uh. I, just as an introduction I know you from cyclocross shoot you and your sister and your dad I'm trying to think how many years ago at Trek, like and I'm not I don't want to age you or anything but you're like <laughs> a freaking you're like a little kid back then if you, you you're growing yeah. up you're yep, growing up yep. um, yeah so I've known you mostly as uh, race and cross but you rip up that mountain bike Thanks. Tell me about your history riding. I know your dad, and your dad's a cyclist. Um, was it his influence? Um. Yeah, my mom and dad both rode. Um, they
1: both raced in the nineties and into the early two thousands until Em and I got a little older. And you know, toddlers are toddlers are needy. Nothing, <laughs> nothing slows a bike racer down like having a couple kids. Unfortunately, but for the most part, um, but. Yeah, I started going to races with my sister and my parents when we were younger. Um, did my first kitty races when, like 2006 at Angel Park Speedway where the original USGP Sun Prairie was. Um, did my first, you know, real junior season in 2008 when I was nine. Did my first cross Crossnats in Kansas City that uh, December
0: 2008.
1: Was that the frozen 2000- one? Yeah, kind of frozen mud. Yeah. It was gnarly. I it was I like got muddy lost. one
0: day and then uh, it like froze hard overnight. I think I yes. like Silford broke a collarbone or something there. There's a story like that. I think so. And I
1: think Page one or something. Yeah. Um, but then started racing mountain bikes, the Wisconsin Off-Road Series in 2009 uh, at Mount Morris where the old Subaru Cup was back in the day. And then from there... Um we'd always been a cycling family. We'd go on rides and other stuff together and I hated it. My sister hated it. You know, we were, you That's know, on the tag-along bike. bike. Oh yeah, and or in the, you know, in the tag-along trailer. And you know, we'd do bike tours It'd be my, you know, my parents on the tandem, Emma and I, one of us on the t- the tandem um the tag-along and then the fourth one in the trailer. And eventually That's we got awesome. older and yeah, it was, it was a is a good time. We were just along for the ride. We were little and Eventually, we got a bit older, started to realize we liked bike racing, started to do it more. Um, I ran, you know, I played soccer for 11 years. I did T-ball, which I was I was terrible at T-ball. Um, I think I wanted to be a pro soccer player before I wanted to be a pro bike racer. And Emma played soccer and Emma played, uh, or did cross country and other stuff too. We did, you know, we started skiing, when we were really little. Um, But basically over time, cycling became more serious and we, you know, started to have more success and we started working with coaches and, um, Emma and I each kind of developed our own relationship with the sport and our own love for it. That was very organic, um, and had tremendous support from our parents, but we were by no means pushed towards being pros or pushed towards racing UCI as juniors. Um, those were pretty explicit choices. They're made by ourselves, which is, I think, you know, a very healthy way to choose to pursue cycling in an incredibly serious and long-term way, which I have done and Emma also did. Um, and I think that was really helpful for, yeah, my longevity in the sport and helping me, you know, just love to ride my bike. And I see a lot of juniors who are you know, pushed extrinsically to pursue cycling and other things by parents or coaches. And that can, you know, alter younger riders' relationship with the sport irreparably. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have, you know, grown up that way. And I think people who know my dad know he's intense. <laughs> <laughs> so am I. Um, so I think people might often think that, like, you know, my mom and dad, like, pushed us into this sport. But it was really my choice. Um, and in reality it was more like you need to get good grades. Otherwise we're not taking you to this bike race. Like, oh, there you, go. you know, you're going to college, which I wanted to do. Like, you know, it was you know, everybody in my family has degrees, ba- grandparents with doctorates. It's not mm-hmm. like, I, you know, I don't think I would have gone well if I'd been like, um, actually, actually, yeah, there's, there's no way if I'd said, Hey, I'm not going to school, I'm going to go race pro and skip it, they would have been like, yeah, no, you're not. <laughs> like, Fair enough. No. Probably, uh, so,
0: probably good. What's your degree? You're done, right? Yep. So I
1: graduated in December of 2020. Um, I earned a biology major with a focus in ecology and an extra science minor. Um, I graduated in three and a half years, actually. Oh, wow. And I now run a coaching business as kind of my side gig to help support me um, and then I raced professionally full time in both mountain cycle cross and slowly but surely uh, wading into the the gravel pond.
0: Mm, yeah, it's hard to avoid that pond, isn't it?
1: That is becoming more and more evident.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, especially if you want to make a living at it in the U.S., it seems exactly. like that's uh, that's the kind of the up and coming thing. It um, really is. You've been a bit of a privateer the past couple of years and i I think even before that, but you had strong ties to trek I think that's your Wisconsin heritage um, mm-hmm. showing through bleeding um, bleeding trek blue there but yep. um, tell me about your road to privateer. you showed up last year at at uh, the World Cups where you did the whole the cross um, uh, traveling circus for the year. Yep in your own van, like your own gig. Uh, I know your dad was there to support you quite a bit, but um, tell me about your road to end up there, driving around in the, I wanna say green and red.
1: Yeah, yeah, green, red and black van to match the kits. And yeah, my dad was definitely at a couple races here and there, but overall it was mostly me and some mechanics and kind of a hodgepodge of support. Um, But, oh gosh, yeah, let's see, I think, it's it was really the culmination of you know years and years of experiences and mentorships with sponsors and coaches and teams and teammates. I think I really I had a lot of help starting, you know, in maybe like 2015 when I got my first sponsorship with ESI Grips and it was like, Oh, I'm getting free grips. Like, okay, I can make an Instagram post about that. Like, all right you know and learning how to write a proposal and have a cycling resume and you know approach companies and you know lay that all out there i mean i've i've been developing my cycling resume and my cycling proposals since i was 14 years old and now i have the results to back up a well organized proposal with national championships and world championship attendances and UCI podiums and, um, all of that in multiple disciplines. And so now I have, you know, the report, I go to a company and be taken seriously, which is, you know, something I only dreamed about when I was 16 or 17. Um,
0: for sure. Like, I'm sure when you're 16, 17, you're like free grips. Like, yeah, how exciting. Like somebody, somebody cares about me here. Exactly.
1: Exactly. And it's such a, there's so much that in the cycling industry about, you know, figuring out your own worth and how do you, you know, put a number on that. And and that's where I've had so much help from my first coach, Joe Maloney, and my current coach and mentor, Brian Motter, and mm. um, other people, um, you know, and my team director for Bear National Team has helped me for years and really all these other bits and pieces, all these learned experiences, all these connections of of, all right, okay, I need to, I'm starting a team, like, all right, I know this person at pac Timo. I know this person who's here, and I know this person over there, and it's like, okay, you know, it's basically a, kind of like a game of bingo, to fill up my bingo card of, like, all right, tires, (laughs) wheels, you know, here's a frame, like, clothing, sunglasses, um, and down the list of, like, all right, what else do I need, and with that... I started the development of the dream for the van and everything else kind of after a big road trip I did in 2020, my minivan. And I was like, Oh, like a real van would be pretty sweet. I could use that for bike racing. Like this, I love to camp. I love to be outdoors. I try and do that as much as possible. So I was like, okay, if I can have a camper van, bring that to races, you know, run a power washer out of the back of that. And then when I'm back in Montana where I live, I can go camp in the national forest for a week without cell service. Like this is a good, this is a good gig um so I actually started pitching you know basically I was selling advertising on that van before I had it um that was
0: smart. As part
1: of my sponsorship proposal yeah because um I was gonna do it it was gonna happen I had the plans I was making it happen so you know in a way you know so might look at that and say oh wait he was You know, going to put a logo on the side of a van you didn't have yet,
0: which (laughs) (laughs) my sponsor listening to this. Yeah, you know. Dreaming and commitment and uh, uh, discipline, like those are all good things. I feel like you said your degree is in um, environmental science and uh, exercise phys and I think bio was in there. Yeah, biology major, exercise science minor. But I feel like you should add a business Like some type of business <laughs> degree in there because all of the stuff you're talking about, like, that's great freaking education. That's great. How old are you? I'm 23 now. I just turned 23 a couple weeks ago. Uh, happy birthday! Thank uh, you. But all of that stuff, like, I mean, that's you essentially started a business.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I was basically, you know, launching a Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, literally selling selling a you know pitching an idea and selling a product to each of these companies um and marketing basically myself and my racing and getting everybody on board to yeah launch this conglomerate of sponsors into my own program here and um yeah and I really i feel like i for a living run two small businesses my racing and my coaching Mm um and i think i've always had a Entrepreneurial spirit. I think I got that from my dad, and I've, I've, you know, I've been ended up being semi-notorious on my collegiate cycling team for wheeling and dealing bike parts and other stuff. And like, people know that I, like, I, I make things, I move things, like, and I don't mess around when it comes to, um, you know, dealing with old parts and other stuff, and just you know all the all the business side of, you know, moving on old equipment and everything else and pitching to sponsors. And there's always some idea, some scheme, something going on in my head, um, about, you know, how I'm going to do the next big thing. And I think that transferred over really well into this program of like, okay, I did it for the first year. And then I basically after world, the world championships this past January, i talked to the people in my you know in my corner and broke it down and analyzed it and said all right here are all the things that need to be better here's how i'm gonna fix it you know this is how we're gonna take
0: it to the next level dude i'm super impressed to be honest thanks um i wanted to say something in there but i forgot um what (laughs) what what are sponsors looking for and i know oh i know what i was going to say and i have to go back to it because you said, you said you were like the guy wheeling and dealing old parts. I need, to, <laughs> I need to invite you over to my garage and you can like wheel and deal all my old parts out of here. I got so many, <laughs> so many boxes and stuff. And my wife would love deal. you. She would be deal. so happy. Yeah, come, come for a weekend and just wheel and deal all day long.
1: Perfect, yeah, somebody somebody actually sent me a message this morning who I know who lives out of town but has a bike in town. They're like, could you sell this frame for me? And I was like, yep, like
0: Perfect. on it. Um, I, I've been going through stuff and I just found a 1972 Campanolo Nouveau record rear derailleur. Can you move that for me?
1: Probably. Oh. That's like, that's 30, that's 27 years older than I am.
0: Holy crap. That's crazy. <laughs> that's older. Like that's, that's older than twice your age. Yep. Huh? <laughs> um, actually it's as no. That's 50 years old this year, 1972. Jeez, yeah, I, wow. I'm old, aren't I? Um, I I'm I gotta not going to say it. i got to quit doing math. That hurts. <laughs> it's painful. Um, so let me ask you a question. What are sponsors looking for from guys like you? Like in the old days, um, I don't know, uh, Greg LeMond. Like he signs a contract with Lavi Claire. And they want him to be on a magazine cover wearing uh, a jersey with La Vie Claire on it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. Is that what people ask? Do they just want like, hey, just get some photo ops? Or are you Joe content producer? Like, what do sponsors ask for? What do they want? Is it different from 1984 when LeMond was putting something on it or... You know, anybody in the old days, like you just rode for the team and you had a, a name on your jersey. And if you got if you got uh, on the cover of Velo News or whatever, it was payday. But is yeah, that true anymore.
1: Uh, it is totally different. I think even it's there's nothing even sort of reminiscent of that type of team structure and sponsorship era uh, left in today's world, unless you're racing. Even if you are racing for a pro, you know, a World Tour Road team, you, even if you're the best, you don't get to just be a bike racer, I think. Um, you have to, do, you know, those top guys who are getting paid six figures to race World Tour stuff, you know, they just put a couple posts on Instagram. It's easy for them. They might, you know, somebody's probably running Matthew Vanderpool's social media for all I know. Um, but for people like me, um, the expectations definitely vary by sponsorship and what that company where that company sees value but a lot of that comes down to what i can personally offer and what i've chosen to offer um, how do i market myself how do i create my niche how do i be different than every other you know basically like you look at you look at pro bike racers and you know what percentages straight white men, you know, 98% <laughs> Yep. like, you know, that's, that's the, you know, how, like if you break it down, like how different is every other bike racer, you know, other than results, you know, there's nothing that drastically unique, um, unless you really show who you are and what you have to offer and be yourself and be genuine. Um, so I've worked, and continue to work on what makes me different and why, why a sponsor should pick me over someone else. Um, that's fair. So you know, different companies, like I said, see different value, in different places, but overall social media is huge. Um, even I, Barry Wicks was up at the race. I did in Canada last week and I was talking to him about that stuff and he's like, Oh yeah, like he was a pro. It still is, you know, for the past 15 years, whatever. And he was like, oh, yeah, you know, even six years ago, eight eight years ago when he was racing, he's like, oh, I didn't have to do any of this social media stuff. Like, we just raced our bikes, you know. Right. None of this was part of our obligations to the team or the sponsors. Um, So now, you know, YouTube videos and vlogs and social media and podcasts and other things are all kind of part of the game, if you want to really do it as well as you can. Um, and I think I, you know, I can very clearly see the people who are, you know, prominent in the cycling community because they're racing well and they're in, you know, magazine articles and they're in podcasts, et cetera, and they're doing the social media and they're providing that value. And then there are the fast bike racers who aren't going in the, out of their way to provide additional value. Um, and those, you know, a lot of times those are the people who aren't, you know, they might not be the national champion. They're not racing world tour. Um, and in my opinion, like, you need to be really, really good at bike racing to not be doing all the other stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's very few people in the United States who are at that level. You know, there's those are the... Those are the Magnus Sheffield's and those other guys who are racing Sakush. World Tour stuff. Yeah, yeah, you know that's a that's a different realm with a different level of sponsorship. Um, so, and even in the off road side and the gravel side, um, those really top guys, you know, they have people producing that content for them, so that takes that off their plate. Um, so you know they can focus more on racing, but they are still you know personality and you know influencing whatever, whatever on social media. Um, so you know even even us talking right now, like I sent you a message because I knew about your podcast and I want I love talking with you, Dave. And you know this is you know this right here is me you know accent, you know being introduced to a new crowd of South Cross fans, and bike racing fans, and. Promoting myself, promoting my sponsorships—you know, this is what I do to provide value right here, right now.
0: Yep, I, I, I mean, I totally get that, and that's a, that's a very, it's a broad audience right there. And I'm going to give you a minute to um, talk about those who are making your life possible. But before I do, do you get overwhelmed when you look at? Okay, I have Ergon grips. I've got Challenge tires. I've got Head wheels. I've got a giant bike, I've got this component and I'm sorry if I'm naming the wrong things for you, but That's all right. Um this is an Envy household. Uh okay, Envy wheels and <laughs> um uh does everybody want a little something different? It's like, oh my gosh, I've got an outpost for my wheels today. Oh now I gotta brag about my tires. Or now I gotta talk about my my frame or my components or my I have the most awesome brakes in the world. Is it overwhelming for you or do you package everything together and everything is one? Does that make sense? Um,
1: yeah, no, I totally you what you're saying. I think part of what the beauty of being a privateer is, is I'm choosing the companies I work with. And if I didn't feel I could meet the requirements or demands of those sponsor obligations with the company, then I might choose not to work with them. Um, hmm. And a lot of these are companies I've worked with for years and years and, and, or I approached, um, and you know, those are really strong, healthy relationships that have been long term. And, um, I think the expectations vary a little bit from sponsor to sponsor, but at the end of the day, you know, some of that boils down to if they didn't like what they've already seen and who I am and what I'm doing, we wouldn't be working together. Mm. Um, And then with that, you know, obviously I take constructive criticism um, and I try and check in with my sponsors and, you know, that's something I'm working on and learning about as I'm getting older and more experienced is, you know, how do I make sure I'm giving back and I'm not just asking, asking, asking each year for more and more and more. Um, You know, I want to make sure I provide that value and, you know, it can be a little overwhelming to keep bringing on new people and like, okay, like... You know, if I have a sponsor of every little thing, it can be a lot. So, like, right now, you know, I don't have somebody who sponsors me for a bike wash stuff, you know, or chain lube. And quite frankly, I don't care. Like, chain lube's cheap. Dish soap is great. And yep. I have my bike wash
0: brushes. Um, you you know, have if, a, uh, a pail and a bucket of water. Or a exactly. pail and a brush. Yeah. That, that's yep. easy to take care of, isn't it?
1: Exactly. And if I, you know, if I called up somebody tomorrow or for next year and said, hey, will you pay me X amount of money and give me X amount of product and I'll wash the heck out of my bikes with your stuff and they say, yeah, let's do it. And then, you know, I basically I slot that level of support into basically my pyramid of um, sponsorship and, mm-hmm. you know, I kind of, you know, work my way through with the list of sponsors, um, you know, who's, who's chipping in the most, who is, you know, asking for more, how do I you know, make sure I'm meeting those needs and also catering to, um, those who are putting, putting in the greatest amount of support while also making sure I provide value for, you know, my intermediate sponsors and my lower level sponsors. Um, yep. so with all that, I've gotten better and better at it as I'm getting older and more experienced. I'm only 23. I'm not old, but you <laughs> I know, it's going to mention that, but yeah it's becoming easier. Just the more you do it, the more it's natural, the more it takes less time and energy to think about.
0: Yeah. Again, I, I you're running a business, which is super impressive. Yep. <laughs> um, are you, and you don't have to talk specifics, but I'm super curious. Like you're in Missoula, Montana. You're not living with your parents anymore. You've got to have some expenses. I know it's expensive to drive around the country and and uh, go to Fayetteville and stay for a weekend and race cross. I know entry fees are expensive. Are you like? Are you? Is there enough money to make it worth your while?
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, honestly, my coaching pretty much covers the majority of my month to month expenses. I have spreadsheets for, I have spreadsheets for everything. Dave, like I
0: said, Um, you have a business degree.
1: Yep. Basically I've, I've earned, you know, it's been a multi-year internship here on that one. And right. Right. Um, I think I have the coolest job in the world. Like I just spent the past week racing my bike through the Canadian Rockies. Sleeping and camping in my van, and you know jumping in you know glacial meltwater rivers and driving through Glacier National Park and hiking and like you know that's work if you yep. can even call it that. I mean that's it, sometimes I'll be out riding and I'm like this is a joke like this is this is this is farcical to be <laughs> I'm out here in the national forest the top of a mountain training and this is work you know yeah um, it just hardly feels real but. That alone is so worth it and I feel very fortunate to be where I am. I've had a lot of help. I've worked incredibly hard um, and I've nowhere near tapped out my potential as an athlete or the potential for um, sponsorships and the value I can provide to companies. I think we're not even anywhere near that. Um, so I you know I anticipate, doing this for a long time and I anticipate making far more than I do now and I will continue to grow as an athlete, as a person, as a marketing agent for myself, you name it, Um, you know, race my bike faster, win bigger races, you know, have more followers, you know, all that jazz and just continue to hopefully have my support grow proportionally to the value I provide
0: and my worth as an athlete. Ah, Very cool. It uh, sounds like it's just kind of this exponential, or hopefully exponential curve that that leads up from yep, a young man in Sun Prairie at <laughs> two thousand nine when you were. Did you say nine or two thousand six
1: was the first kitty race and the real first real like probably registered junior race two thousand eight I think.
0: Well, that's. So. I mean, it's, you've been working at it a long time, and I would say that it's not a yeah. privilege. It's it's earned and it is earned with um vision yeah like you saw where you wanted to go and by gosh that's where we're going i'm driving the van around next year and i'm going to sell it so <laughs> yep exactly uh, and, and then you make that happen so not everybody does that let me ask you this is there in the racing scene it again i'm going to go back i'm old the guys who were good, guys and, and girls, um, mostly guys, because I mean, gosh, even freaking like Amanda Miller gets second in, uh, in the national championships, and then the next year she doesn't get support and poof, you know? Yeah. Gets the sport. So that's an editorial comment by Dave. So, um, but anyway, if you were good, you got the contracts. Mm hmm. Is that true anymore? Or if you're good on a bike and you can finish somewhere in there and be competitive sometimes, finish top 10, maybe a podium here and there, but you rock out YouTube, you rock out. Like Payson's got his uh, um, podcast, um, freaking Becca Ferringer rocks out her YouTube. To, like people work super mm-hmm. hard at the social end of it, what's more important to Envy? Um,
1: so yeah, like you said, I think there's the ways in which you provide value to your sponsors, and that really depends on each sponsor. Um, you know, if you could be a fantastic athlete and also crush the YouTube, like Terry Warner, wins bike races, fast as heck, gets thousands of views on YouTube, crushes the vlogs. you know, that's, he's going above and beyond most people in terms of providing exposure and value for those, his partners. Um, and there's a reason he has the sport he has. So that, you know, that right there is an example of that. And I think, um, it really, it's interesting. It's so nuanced because you can, there are a lot of people who are gravel racers, who are probably making more money than me because they are, you know, in the gravel pool. They're fast. They have a lot of followers, and they're, you know, they're decent athletes, but they're more influencers. Um, and they are, you know, they're good, you know, I'm sure they're good people. They're good. They're decent athletes. But they are, you know, nowhere near as accomplished as others, um, mm-hmm. and they are making more money than people who are, you know, far, you know more, you know, weighing more heavily on the athlete side than the influencer side. And fast, that's
0: fast but quiet. Yeah, it, there's. It's hard to be yeah. fast, quiet, and well, well cared for.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. if you're going to be fast and quiet on social media you need to be really fast. Like yeah, yeah <laughs> like that, that model doesn't work anymore. And I've, I've been teammates with people who are fast and quiet. I've been, I've seen people who are fast and quiet and they're not really doing it right now yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. you just, it doesn't matter if you're fast, if you're quiet, if nobody knows you want a bike race and your sponsors don't have a picture of you winning your bike race, you're not gonna have any sponsors. You're not gonna be winning any more bike races because you don't have a bike to race on. <laughs>
0: yeah yeah oh, that's interesting um, that's super interesting
1: so and with that personally I am a professional athlete social media is a side gig like it's something I do to provide that value and I don't mind and it's something I'm used to um, if I were to quit bike racing tomorrow I would probably delete all every social media app I have for months <laughs> Fair um, enough. Because I would be just as happy to go camp in the woods without internet for the rest of my life sometimes. So, yeah, I hear you. Um, and for someone such as myself who trains incredibly hard, is incredibly focused, incredibly driven um, when it comes to the athletic pursuit of the highest you know, level I can possibly achieve as a human being, um, I would be... You know, remiss to not say it irks me and many other fast bike racers to see, you know, basically influencers who have fantastic support and or more support than, you know, more accomplished bike racers results wise. Um, But that's, that's the game. You got to play it. Um, So for me, it's like, okay, how can I provide more value? How can I be fast and make great YouTube videos? Um, And... Again, back to one of your earlier questions, like I'm not interested in partnering with sponsors who are going to say, Hey, we don't care if you win this bike race, but if you just do a cool Instagram post or, you know, do this or that social media wise, um, you know, that's fine too. And, you know, I want to work with partners who see my value as a professional athlete who's winning in podium at races and also does. Good social media, you know. I want to yep. always be an athlete first, and you know, an influencer second or third or fourth, you know. Yeah. Um, and that comes back to my personal values and you know, staying true to who I am, what I want to do, and also being willing to make compromises to earn a living and continue this, you know. Very very fun and unique lifestyle.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's super cool. That's super. I'm going to use the word mature. (laughs) Thanks. Yep, yep. I feel like I can say that. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, before we talk about your life as a athlete, who is taking good care of you this year? Um, Envy
1: for sure. They stepped up big this year. Um, Gosh. Giant helped me out on the mountain bike side of things for some stuff this year. And, um, yeah, it's, I'm excited to work with those two again for a second year. And then um, Kuet's up there and big again. I'm really excited for my, let's see,
0: my second or third year with them. And I just saw you got a new rack.
1: Yeah. Yep. The van is styled out. And, um, <laughs> oh, gosh, sometimes when I have these questions – I'll just I'll either look at a jersey or I'll look at my van when I need to make
0: an Instagram post to remember who who I'm working with. But fair, um, enough. fair enough. That's a good that's a good problem to have.
1: Yeah, yeah. But industry Dine's up there big again. I'm excited to work with them for let's see my third or four, second or third year now. And um, gosh, yeah, yeah. Backtimo and Underground Meats and Englewood Grass Farm. Lots of lots of really good
0: partners. Um, what components are you rolling? Um. No sponsorship there. So, no shout outs there. Dig it. Dig it. That's fair. That's <laughs> really fair. So do I'm you probably, do you need that nineteen seventy two campy rear derailleur at some point? <laughs> I've got some stuff on the way. I don't know if that'll you know, pair up with the other Bluetooth uh. It will not dings, no, but... it will not Bluetooth. <laughs> it, it will not yeah. Bluetooth. Unless you want a single speed, then you know, I mean, <laughs> it'll take up the slack in your chain and uh will be Perfect. about it. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> Very cool. Yeah.
1: Working on, working on stuff for next year. It's always an ongoing process and that's, a, you know, components are a big one, a big one on my bingo card for 2023. That's for sure. Cause that stuff is expensive. And um, a lot of that, yes, you know, it comes back to basically, you know, choosing, but not really having a choice to invest in purchasing components, um, with knowing that I'll sell bikes later and I have a bike last year to sell. If anybody wants a size small, uh, cyclocross bike, let me know. Um, good
0: to know. So,
1: you know, a lot of that is, yeah, again, I'm literally investing in my season and my career and hoping that, you know, not really hoping, knowing that it will pay off when I sell equipment and win more races and, um, so on and so forth, you know, even last year, I spent thousands and thousands of dollars to go to Europe in December to get the points I needed to qualify for the World Championships. To you know, work towards cementing my career for the rest of my life as one of the top, hopefully one of the top professional South Cross racers in the country. Um, you know, knowing that I can put a couple of grand in now to make it to the World Championship team, and you know, literally exponentially increase my value as an athlete and you know secure years and years and years of much greater support as an athlete um so it's it's investing it's a business
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, that's that's a great way to look at it it's not just an expense to go to europe it's an investment to go to europe for a variety of reasons and i uh since you brought it up i was going to talk about this a little later but uh you were the youngest guy on the line in fayetteville at the world champs last year what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, I think, I don't know if I was for sure the youngest in the race, but I was technically the youngest American, uh, elite rider for an American um, Cyclocross World Championship
0: team. Okay, um, that's fair. I heard so, you say you were the youngest and it must have been that. Um, yeah, in yeah. The whole you, race. But I think, I no mean, worries. it had to be about the youngest, one of the youngest guys there for sure. What what Other was that Is he younger than you? He's not younger than you. He's 20. I think he's the same age. I think he's, he might be a month older than me. All right. So you're younger than him. So... Dang, <laughs> just a man. little behind. <laughs> just got a little work to do to catch up there. <laughs> a little bit. Just a little bit. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a bungee cord. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's Something. Amazing. That was an amazing race to witness in person to watch him just ride away from the best in the world. That was just amazing. Yeah, pretty incredible. Um, But what was the experience like for you? Was it, what was it like?
1: It was surreal. Um, I have the Tigers World Championships poster on the wall right in front of me with my number. Um, I mean, it's just.
0: Here's my souvenir. Nice, yeah, I like it. It'll I have be- a
1: quite a few. I have a TV parking sign in my living room next to the poster that points towards my TV. <laughs> awesome. awesome, and another one in my room that says "Organization Parking" towards my desk, and uh, one in my garage that says "UCI Parking" pointing Perfect. towards my bikes. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was beyond surreal. I mean, it gives me shivers to think about to be there and have ten thousand people screaming at you and um the way i often describe it is when you go to europe everybody cheers for you because you're the american you're wearing a usa kid and you know everybody loves you know usa like ah usa you know you're different you're the you're the wacky outsider from the, the, you know, the across the pond yeah, yeah the underdog but then to be in the u.s you know, for the and have, be racing the second ever cyclocross world championships here. Uh, I mean, the last time there was a world championships was twenty thirteen. You know, road world I think was in twenty fifteen. I you know, mountain bike national mountain bike world championships were here in like like ninety four, Vale, Colorado, or something. Oh, right,
0: maybe ninety six, um,
1: something like that. And like, it's I think every professional athlete's dream. You know, at that level to be racing a home world championships and to be there to do it the second time ever in history was out of Europe and to be there and, you know, representing every single person who's there cheering for you, you know, to be riding to the course with the other elite men and have the highway, you know, the entire highway honking their horns, hanging out their windows, cheering for us, you know, is just like the closest thing you'll ever feel to being a superhero. I mean, it's just, I mean, it was beyond surreal to have that honor to, you know, roll up to the venue and ride that access road in that parallels the course. And, you know, the the first area of the crowd that sees you with the rest of the USAC people, you know, the whole medley men's team, it's just this wave of noise that followed us as we, you know, rode the length of the course to get to the USA team tents you know, it was in between races and as the fans saw us, it was just, you know, like, you know, you know, a crowd in a stadium doing the wave uh, of just this wave of noise to, you know, we're there, we're the, you know, we're the the, the prize fighters, the main event, you know, we're the, we're there to represent them and throw down and um, to be part of such a unique opportunity to represent so many people who believe so strongly in what we are doing. And then just to be out there and, you know, have my ears ringing in the race because it was so loud. And then to be in the race in a team, you know, we were at one point we had five of us all together in a train. I mean, you wouldn't even believe the noise and the photos and the video. And it was just, I mean,
0: I love it like? <laughs> What was it like making the hard right corner and the stairs are right in front of you and you're going into the freaking... Super Bowl stadium.
1: Yeah, yeah, literally. I mean, it's the Super Bowl of cyclocross. I, yeah, it's just people, you know, dream, you know, I don't know. People, you know, I probably wonder what it's like to be a rock star or, a, you know, something like that. And, you know, that's the closest I'll ever be to being a rock star.
0: I think <laughs> it's... I don't know, man. Don't put it <laughs> to I don't know. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, it's just like... Uh, you know,
1: an otherworldly feeling to have ten thousand people screaming for you because you are representing them. Like you're there with the you know the colors of everyone in the U.S. Um, and they're there to they're there to watch you
0: race. That's awesome. So suffice it to say, you had a good experience there. That's for sure. It was uh, <laughs> it was a good
1: time. That's for sure. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. What are your plans this year for cross?
1: Yeah. So I've been busy, um, working on nailing down all the moving parts. It's been, it's been very interesting as COVID's affected supply chains and other things. And obviously the bike industry has taken a massive hit. Um, so I've been, um, you know, for months now working on organizing parts and wheels and spokes and hubs and frames and bars and stems and whatever else. Um, and I've, basically I've been compiling it all together and I'm having, you know, one person here in Missoula build up my bikes and I'm mailing other wheels to Neff Cycle Service in Madison to, you know, build up wheels and glue tires and you know just found out yesterday there's a glue shortage, so I'm you know, spending yesterday hunting down glue on eBay while simultaneously shipping a box of rims to Wisconsin while also calling my you know, my my sports bargaining guy at Industry Nine to check up on ETAs there. You know, it's like I'm going a million miles a minute. I have journals, I have notes, I have calendars, um, checklists, whiteboards, you name it. Um, it's, it's going. Um, so that's the uh, team manager side of things. Yeah, it
0: is. That's, uh, that's a hard job right there. You find it yep. time to train. Of course, you just came off an awesome summer of racing mountain bikes, so you've got to be in great shape.
1: Yeah, and, yeah. So that's the other side of the equation is uh, last year was a long, weird season after COVID wiped our points and other stuff. So I came in last year really fit, but not sharp. Um, and I kind of raced into shape off of, you know, really big hours coming in. This year, I geared my entire spring, some, you know, winter, spring, and summer to prepare for cross season. Everything I did was done with the intention of hitting cross hard, um, and so that meant instead of peaking for mountain bike nationals and training a month at altitude, that meant I was doing 25-hour base weeks for three weeks straight and then going to Winter Park, Colorado. Oh, wow. Um, so, and knowingly sacrificing some placings there, um, but also it's like, all right, I'm not going to go live somewhere at 9,000 feet for a month for one race weekend. Yeah. Um. So things like that made a lot of choices with my coach, with other people in my corner, you know, after worlds, we talked to Tim Johnson. We talked to Jeremy powers. We talked to Stephen Hyde. We basically asked them, you know, what's the path physiologically career wise. Why do the Europeans beat us? What are they doing differently? How do we change my training? Um, to emulate that and and what do i want to do do i want to be the top american do i want to be the best in europe do i want to choose to be a world cup racer you know what does that look like for me as my path and do we want to you know focus on the us for another year and then then try and jump it to the next level and we decided to take it up a couple notches um so that meant stage racing that meant bigger volume that meant all these changes that have led to I, me being in a completely different shape and form than I've ever been in my life um, compared to last year, compared to any other year. And we're just now starting in the past few weeks, just really starting to sharpen it up and get that intensity going, getting that running, going, getting the skills going to, um, instead of doing, you know, eight weekends in a row, like last year. We're gonna do it, you know, two weeks on, ten days off, or so. You know, have more time at home and be hitting six race weekends with gaps in between at a hundred percent instead of limping through eight weeks hmm. at ninety eight, then ninety five, then ninety, then eighty five,
0: then eighty percent. Um, that makes sense. So. Uh, so is cross like your main thing? Is that your end game? Is cross for this season?
1: Yeah. Um, again. I am a realist when it comes to the bike industry and what I'm doing for sponsorships and value. And as much as I love cross, if I, you know, can pop out a great result at nationals and get a podium or a win. And if I can't substantially improve my support for next year, um, even, you know, being in the top three or so in the country, then I'm not opposed to racing more gravel and other things, um, because. As much as I love cyclocross, it's not the it's not the hill my career is going to die on. You know, um, I think I like gravel. I'm good at it. I can pursue that, and um, I think it's you know this lifestyle, this way of you know living and training and racing um, as a whole is worth preserving and making sacrifices to preserve, even if that means. I'm doing more of a different discipline um, and other stuff. Um, So I think I'm a a realist in terms of that. And I'm also flexible and I'm capable and I can choose to do whatever I wanna do. (laughs) And that's the beauty of being a privateer is I have that flexibility. um, And until somebody's paying me a bunch more to do something much more specific, I can kind of pick and choose a little bit and gear my racing and training how I'd like to do it to um, achieve my personal goals hmm.
0: very cool very again very mature very well thought <laughs> out and and uh, real realistic in my opinion Thanks uh, what's your first cross race where are you headed and what will it be and
1: um, I'll be hitting Roanoke in uh, Virginia go cross. Then heading to Rochester. I'm skipping Baltimore. Um, that's part of the USCX series, but that overlaps with, uh, or the Falmouth race of the USCX series overlaps with the Pan American Championships, which I think I'll be attending. Meaning I probably will be missing out on the USCX series anyways. Um, so it's more important to sacrifice a weekend of weekend in Baltimore to go home, hang out, re, you know, recoup, and then fly back for. The world the U.S. World Cups. Take it. So um, you'll
0: be at uh, Wisconsin and uh, Fayetteville.
1: Yep, I'll do those. Then fly home again. Train for ten days. Enjoy fall in Montana. Um, and then I'll hit Indianapolis and head to Costa Rica for Pan Am, as if it's for sure happening, which is a little little up in the air. We'll see. It sounds like it's on track, but I've, there's you know rumors COVID. and rumblings as always. COVID no, or just. Dollars? I'd probably dollars yep. in terms of um, you know whether I think yeah I think it sounds like the Costa Rican Federation is going to pull it together, but it's, there's always rumors and yeah we'll see. It's it's not it's the first time it's ever been in Costa Rica, that's for sure. So it's, oh yeah you know, for
0: sure. I talked to Felipe Nyström last uh, March and uh, mm-hmm. maybe February, right after Worlds, and uh, of course he's a Costa Rican dude and yep. you know I, I think um, even Costa Rica. Attempting to host a Pan Am's is a huge step forward in his eyes. So, totally. Um, so yeah, if they pull it off, that's super awesome. But I could see that it might be a challenge as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think I talked to Jesse Anthony in July, and it sounded like all things were on track. And there was a rumor if it doesn't happen, it might happen in Falmouth. So I think that's Plan B. Hmm. Um, if Pan Am's doesn't happen at all, then yeah I'll go to Falmouth either way, probably and you know, maybe it is will be moved to Falmouth and I'll head there. So yeah. we'll see what cool. happens.
0: Uh I didn't hear you use the word Schwammigan.
1: No, unfortunately. Um yeah that overlaps with Roanoke. Um and yeah. yeah have you ever crossing. done schwamigan? Um I was second at the short and fat in two thousand and fifteen. It's the only one I've ever done.
0: Oh wow and you were second. Who were you second to? Sam Elson, Minnesota boy. Oh, uh, that doesn't ring a bell. Um, who am I thinking of? I don't know. There was some dude who always was either winning or podium in the short and fat. And, uh. Cross he, racer? Uh. I feel like he did some cross. He was young and then, um, graduated to the 40. Oh, shoot. He was a Wisconsin boy, too. I know you'd know him. Hmm. Anyway, my memory's bad. Uh. What do Jordan- you think? No, was it's Jordan, Jordan.
1: Jordan Cullen? Or something? No. Uh, I think I know what you're talking name. about. It
0: was a short, short name. I don't remember. I don't <laughs> Obviously, I don't. Um, what, do you, what do you think of the Lifetime Grand Prix? Uh, ooh. <laughs> it's interesting. Um,
1: it's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's accomplishing what they thought it would accomplish. I'm not sure if people care as much about it as they thought people might care about it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if people are really following it. I don't know if people are keeping up on it. I don't. I don't know if people care that it's you know what the standings are or the rankings are. Honestly, I'm not. I'm not really sure. Um, I personally care that Keegan Swenson is killing it. He's and totally that he's killing like, it,
0: and that's why nobody cares because it's like, well, that's uh, we know who's winning. That yeah. being said, I don't think he's super far ahead of, uh, like uh, like you just said, whoever's in second, which...
1: Yeah, well, that great, that comes back to their point scale not being exponential, which is like a differentiation from every overall series ever because he's won, what, three of the he six should... events, was second in the fourth. He should be untouchable. He should be way by, ahead. um So, yeah, I think that's one of... Many things people have, uh, brought forth as, you know, things to discuss with the series. And, yeah. um, I think the events are, the events they are, and I think there are better events. I think some of those events are cool. Um, it's definitely an interesting idea and I wonder if it'll happen next year and I'll definitely apply next year. Um,
0: did you apply this year?
1: I did. I did not get in. Oh, wow. Um, do you There's think a lot of
0: beaten those guys. Could you be? Where would you fall in the rankings right now?
1: Oh gosh, it's hard to say because it's such a diverse. It's such a diverse series of races, and it's such a diverse crop of people. Um, like it would have taken a lot of different training. You know, I would have skipped Unbound, for example. I just would have skipped that. Oh That's really? Not, yeah, I'm not gonna you you know mess people up for a whole season. It takes totally different training. For sure. Um, all the rest of them, though, I think I could hit those well, and I'm a I'm a mountain biker, and so a lot of those gravel guys yeah. are not mountain bikers, and right. it's hard to say where I'd stack up. But um, I don't know. Brennan Wirtz was just fourth at SBT the other week. He's up there on the Lifetime Grand Prix, I think. Um, and I was he was fourth at a gravel race up in Montana, the last best ride, and I was second mm-hmm. and. I was racing with Rob Britton up in Canada, and I think he's like fifth or sixth overall in the series right now. Um, he dropped me like a box of rocks in the final climbs <laughs> on days, you know, stage three and four, um, but I raced with him all week. I won a sprint for the stage win on day two of Trans Rockies, um, so that showed me I, I could keep up with yep. him, and he's, yeah, I think fifth or sixth in the series right now, so I would – Hope that I could be somewhere in the top ten. I think I'm a consistent rider. Yeah. I have the mountain bike skills. I ha- I can race gravel. Um, so it's a uh, a lot of lot of <laughs> a lot of variables here. Well, but I think I could definitely be competitive.
0: That's why the that's why I'm so intrigued by it because of the very but like 200 miles to Schwamigans 42 mile sprint. Yeah. Um, And again, everything in between, Leadville's in there, just so varied that uh, it intrigues me and the people in it. Like you said, like there's mountain bikers in it and there's gravel guys in it. How are the gravel guys going to do in the mountain bike races? Are the mountain bike races gravelly enough? Like Schwamigan's kind of a gravel ride. Greg LeMond won, you know? So um, I don't know. I I find it intriguing and and, uh, I'd put my vote in to, to watch you next year if they do it again. but. Thank you. you bet <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens and I think it'd be
1: cool to see if them expand to more events and other things and um, I think overall the way they're doing the overall with you know having only this select group of people is a little bizarre. I think it's I think it's not very inclusive um i think it's also obvious that many people have dropped out of the men's and women's overalls so they started with 30 people now they're down to you know 25 men and 20 women or something like that so i think that's odd and you know you could fill that back in with people who have chosen to do all the races and participate and be competitive um so it's again it's interesting to see like crusher and the tusher there are people in the overall for the lifetime grand prix Getting fiftieth at that race, you know, being right. beaten by all the local people who showed up. So it's like, okay, you know, well, technically, these people should be getting points, you know, the yeah. like yep. Grand Prix, but but they're not. So it's it's an interesting idea, and I think it's going well for a first year series. And I would, I'd love to see it expand. I think it's great for the sport. I think it's great to have a rallying point for athletes, something to focus on. Um, and I think. I think they'll improve on it. I think they'll take feedback. And I think, I hope, I hope to see it grow. I certainly don't wish it ill. Um, I think it's powerful to have, have series with big prize money and, you know, motivate racers. I mean, people, nothing motivates a bike racer like money. I mean, let me tell you, I I will race a lot harder when I know there's money on the line. Um, And there are the events that I show up to where like, I'm there for the big checks. You know, I learned, you know, Brian Motter, my coach, you know, He's raced Iceman like 27 times and he's won it I don't know how many times anymore yeah. and he's He's a legend. He's he's podiumed or you know every time basically even if he hasn't won for a decade or something more and like Brian does Brian does he's a professional bike racer. He needs to make a living. He doesn't mess around when it comes to winning the big checks. Like he's going to be there and he's going to yeah. be on the podium. You yep. know there's yep. no if, ands, or buts. <laughs>
0: yeah, yep. for sure. For sure. Um, well, I'm anxious to, you know, lifetime grand prix or not, watch you and your cyclocross season and then next year as you dive on the mountain bike and the gravel bike. Thanks. And watch you as you age in this sport. Like I'm Thanks, I'm Dave. super curious. Um super curious where you end up going. It's it's been fun to watch you from uh Oh gosh. I mean, I went to Trek, the first year was a World Cup, is that 2017, so that's five years ago, you were like I think so. 17 years old, I mean, you were like in yeah. high school.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that would have been, yeah, 2017 was the first year, and I think I was a first year U23 probably, and I didn't think, I, I don't think I raced it that year, but I think the first year I raced it, the World Cup itself was 2019, and um, yeah, things have changed a lot, and I've... Evolved a lot as a person and I'm living a very, very different and interesting life from, you know, what I thought I might be doing when I was in college. And um, I've been very fortunate to have a lot of good experiences and a lot of help and a lot of guidance and a lot of, you know, support and belief in what I'm doing um, to be where I am and, you know, have the vision for where I want to go. I think. I'm still quite young, and I have a lot of development to do physically, and there's always you know infinite technical and uh, strategical growth to be made, which is always fun and um, yeah if I've been very fortunate to have coaches and mentors and sponsors who truly believe that I can do anything um, I put my mind to, and you know as an athlete, that means a lot. To have those people behind you and pushing you forward and encouraging you to, you know, go big and never hold back and never give anything less than one hundred percent. Yeah,
0: no doubt. Well, I'm um, I'm excited to watch you grow and, and follow along. How does somebody follow you? What are you on on uh, socials? Uh, I know you do some video stuff. You're good, by the way. You do. Thanks. You. you, you I enjoy watching your stuff.
1: You're Thank you. So I appreciate YouTube, that.
0: Yeah. How does somebody follow you?
1: Yeah, um, Caleb Swartz, which you'll probably see in this episode title, S-W-A-R-T-Z, <laughs> common, commonly uh, mispronounced and misspelled. I'm I'm used to it, and I do not take it personally, but uh, if no you search for me, no C-H, um, yeah, at C. Swartz with two Zs on Twitter and Instagram, because somebody with an inactive account took, the, uh, took my proper spelling <laughs> with one Z, um, and then... Caleb Swartz on in, uh, Facebook and YouTube, and uh, website calebswartz.com, and heck Strava. People, I, I, oh, I feel yeah. like I have an entertaining Strava. It's actually, uh, people like to look at rides and numbers and all that jazz, so I always post fun stuff on there too, and jokes, and you know, I'm, I'm me on there, so that, that I helps, love it. I think. <laughs> I love it. So For Caleb sure. Swartz on there too.
0: Awesome, I love it, I love it. Well dude, thanks tons for your time today. I hope you have an awesome weekend and I can't wait to see you uh, hopping off your bike and jumping over some barriers.
1: Thanks Dave, I appreciate you having me on. Glad to be here and yeah, have a great uh, long weekend as well here.
0: Thanks for tuning in to Bike Talk with Dave and thank you Caleb for joining me in this conversation today. Wish you the best of luck and I can't wait to run into you during the cyclocross traveling circus this fall. Well, I appreciate your support in Bike Talk with Dave. If you want to support the show, you can rate, review, and subscribe. It certainly helps others find the show. And if you want to support the show financially, I would appreciate it tons. You can look for the Bike Talk with Dave podcast at buymeacoffee.com. And if you do, I will send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. I also want to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. Each week we'll post a story about the podcast and a link to the podcast, so you can find it easily on your computer or smartphone. I also want to mention that the Bike Iowa Racing Team is working on our annual race weekend called Capital City Cross in Des Moines, Iowa, September 24th, and that is special because we are hosting the single speed extravaganza our final race of the day single speeds we're looking for a hundred people to line up and race for a thousand dollar first prize cash prize a thousand dollars we believe is the highest single speed payout ever in the history of the world or maybe iowa or maybe des moines or maybe stone park most uh, obviously, and definitely Stone Park. But anyway, $1,000 to the winner. And even if you don't have a single speed, we've got ways to make your bike a single speed. That is September 24th, the final race in the Capital City Cross. Look for information on that race and more at bikeiowa.com. Thanks again for joining us at Bike Talk with Dave. We'll look forward to seeing you next week.